Welcome to the TCU Chi Alpha podcast, where we share sermons, interviews, and other resources that encourage and challenge students as they follow Jesus on campus. Hey, Horn Frogs, this is Andrew Youngblood, director of Chi Alpha here at TCU, and uh, this is this is our missions month. We are um, wrapping things up, and uh, hopefully things have been awesome in your life groups. Have you met with missionaries from all over the world? Um, that our mission service was a blessing to you. If you haven't listened to those things yet, man, go back and listen to the podcast from Drea about missions in the marketplace, and go back and listen to our interview with missionaries at our worship service. All that stuff will be just super fruitful for you as you um, explore really what it means for God to love the whole world um, so much that he gave his son and how we can partner with him in the mission of God um, in the world. And one of our missionaries that we were raising money to give towards a project for them uh, is Kenny Horton and his family in Guatemala. And so we're super honored to have you on. Uh, Kenny, thanks for making time from across, you know, the world to to pour into us, man. Appreciate it, Andrew. Thank you all so much. I, I know that that we've had a lot of people there pray for us and think about us, you know, over these last these last uh, few months that we've been on the field now. Um, and man, it, it's we feel it. It's worth it. Um, we enjoy we enjoy being here, but it has definitely been a challenge. So. Yeah. So so give us a, a quick snapshot of, of you and your family, what you guys are doing in Guatemala. How long have you been there? Those kind of things, because you mentioned we've been here a few months, but really this is another term for you guys. So yeah, yeah, kind of unpack right. that a little bit for us. All right, cool. Well, we were we were youth pastors for ten years in in the in Texas, in North Texas, and um, God called us into missions. We felt that felt that draw. Um, I felt it back in twenty fourteen, and then my mm-hmm. wife um, late a little bit later on after after I felt it, and and we made the decision to step into missions. And uh, we hit the ground in, in Guatemala in two thousand eighteen. We did a did a two year term. Um, we left. Right before COVID hit, um, <laughs> came back to the United States to, after we finished our term, and we're preparing to go back to Guatemala um, to take kind of take the next step in missions. Our first term was was as what's called missionary associates. We were MAs. We were working under another missionary in country here in Guatemala with Child Hope Children's uh, Sponsorship Organization here in Guatemala, uh, and then we we got connected with University Ministry that was brand new in Guatemala, and and God called us to go back. And we were in the process of getting everything set up to, to start raising our funds to, to come back to Guatemala. And that's when the whole world just decided to flip <laughs> upside down, do yeah. whatever it's doing now. Um, and but God was still I mean, he was still faithful. You know, we, we were able to raise a budget during that time. And um, and we got back to Latin America in April. We did three months in Costa Rica for some intense language and culture training. Um, and then we hit the ground here in Guatemala just back in July. Wow. So this is yeah, just been a few months here in Guatemala so far, but overall it's been, it's been about three years uh, that we've been in country. Was it last summer that you guys were invited to lead, not just the university ministry there, but also the the organization that you were yeah, working sure. with before? Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so God's kind of funny. Um, I, you know, I, a lot, in a lot of times in my life, the places where God put me, I, I felt very incapable or, um, uh, underqualified uh, for mm. what he was calling me to do. And, and to be honest, uh, in the university ministry, I, I felt underqualified uh, to, to do what, what he had called us to do here in, in Guatemala. And then it was actually December of 2020. Okay. Uh, we, we got, a, we got a, a message from the director of Child Hope internationally. Uh, Child Hope is a child sponsorship and 
a program that builds relationships with students between sponsors and students in Latin America. Uh, and it's a they they give a, a sponsorship amount each month so that those children can get an education at different schools. There there are 19 child hope schools here in Guatemala. Wow. Um, connected with the program. And so these kids receive sponsorships, but they also write letters back and forth. It's a relationship between the sponsor and the child. Uh, but the end goal of all this is, is so that these children can be exposed to the gospel um, because every one of these schools is connected to a church. And so the kids are receiving Bible, Bible study information. They're receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is, that's, that's our, our whole reason for doing it, you know, and, yeah. and so there, but they're also getting a quality education. Um, but yeah, this whole deal kind of came about because, we, we got an email and we were like, well, we're already doing university ministry. So how can we do this too? You know, and right. we, we began to pray about it and, um, and doors were open where they hadn't been before um, because the child hope organization has a lot of, a lot of open doors. Um, they have a lot of resources that we didn't have in the university ministry. And we were told mm -hmm. by the leadership there, whatever resources you want to use for the university ministry from child hope, go for it. And so now wow. we've had this open door to work in both and it's actually been more helpful. It would have been way harder to only do university ministry than it is now working with both ministries. That's incredible. Praise God for that, man. Yeah. That's awesome. It turned out to be a blessing. Yeah. <laughs> so we've talked to a few missionaries about their call um, over the course of this time. So I won't ask you to unpack all of that, although it is an incredible story. And so hopefully some other time we'll get to explore that some. Um, yeah. But I did want to ask you a question. And I, and I think it's applicable to our guys in particular, um, because this is something that I struggle with myself. But the first time that you and I got to hang out, you talked about how difficult it was for you to make that transition from kind of that traditional job. You show up, you do the work, you get the paycheck, and then into this support raising model where you go and you ask for people to support what you're doing, right? And uh, I remember for me, that was a that was a weird transition. It didn't seem manly or like providing for your family. I don't know. Yeah. So, so was that hard for you? Am I remembering that right? And if so, like, why was that hard for you? And what has God taught you through the process of making that shift? Man, it's for one thing, it's humbling, bro. It's mm. like, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I, I was used to working a full-time job when we were youth pastors, we were, we were part-time, full-time youth pastors. Yeah. Uh, you know, so we were, we were there all the time, but it was only a part-time gig. So it was, right. you know, we had to have other jobs to live and eat. Um, and so I had a full-time job. My wife had had several jobs uh, that she worked. And, you know, when you go into a normal nine to five job or whatever it is, you work and then you get paid at the end of that time for the hours you worked. Mm -hmm. You know, that's just kind of how it typically runs in a, in the normal business world. So, so if you don't work, you don't get paid. And yeah. so then we go into this fundraising model. And for one thing, you, they hand you this budget up front and it's like these huge dollar amounts that I'm like, wow, I've never seen that much money at one time, you know? Um, yeah. And you don't understand where everything goes and what the purpose of all of it is. And now I see, I look back and I'm like, thank God for, you know, these different, these different areas, you know, because right. I never knew the expenses you have on the field. But, but anyway, we, you know, you, in the, in the business world, you work first, get paid later. Yeah. In this, it felt like going to churches like, hey, could you pay me for what I think I'm going to do <laughs> unless God changes his mind, you know, or changes right. my mind and does something else. But this yeah. is what I think I'm going to do if you go ahead and pay me in advance. And, you know, and that's my my human mind, my, you know, and that's kind of a yeah. male, you know, like the provider mind. I'm going to work hard, make a good living so that I can provide for my family. Yeah. But in missions, it's everything that you thought you had control over 
you no longer have control over. Mm-hmm. And I fought with that. Our, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Our first itineration, I really fought with that idea. Um, but God really showed up in ways that we never expected. Uh, one of the things that happened, I can tell you from our first itineration, I was real discouraged because I'd already asked several people if they wanted to jump on board and they were kind of like, Oh, you know, mm. I don't know. And, and I'm already feeling a little bit, a little bit down, man, I'm not going to be able to do this. And I went to this little tiny, tiny church. It was the first church we'd ever gone to, to go talk to people about what we were going to be doing. And it wasn't, uh, it was like 30 people out in the sticks, like like my GPS didn't even know where it was. It was spinning when we were driving out to, to it, you know, like no idea. It rained in that day. Um, I, I believe my daughter was, she was not quite two and she was just snotting all over the place, you know, feeling bad. I, I wanted to just turn around and go home. Um, and this was our first itineration. And I go there and I'm like, God, I don't know how we're going to do this. This is, it's not going to work if we're just going to these little tiny churches out in the sticks. And that was my bad attitude. You know, that was on me. So I get in there to this church and they ask me to speak and I share and, and my wife's like wrangling our little girl out on the, on the floor on this like old shag carpet, you know, uh, this, this little tiny church. And then after it's over, they begin to have like, it's, it's like a live auction offering, Mm -hmm. which I've never seen this in a church before. They start debating on how much money to give us. (laughs) And I'm like, I've never, you know, never heard of this before, you know? And so I'm just kind of sitting there with my head down, you know, and I'm thinking, you know, if we can if we can get a, get 150 bucks and get out of here, you know, mm-hmm. I'll be, I'll be happy, you know, and the single largest offering we ever got in our first fundraising time. <laughs> and I preached that I was my, my sermon. It was, it was junk, man. I wasn't any good at it. It was, it was terrible. None of, none of that moment could I say was me was my doing. I did nothing to advance my mm. calling in the, in that moment. It was all God, that church, 30 people gave more than any other church did the entire itineration. We went to 60 churches that during that nine month period and they get 30 people. And it was like God telling me, Hey, in this, in this part of your life, nothing is about you. This is all about me doing what I've called you to do and giving you the means to do it. It, You can work your tail off and you won't ever get to where I want you to be. And whenever I want you to be there, I'm going to make it happen. And that was really freeing when I finally got to that point of realizing, realizing, hey, this is not contingent upon my abilities or my ability as a man yeah. to be the provider of my household, because all I'm relying on is the provider yeah. Yeah. of my household, who's yeah. not me, you know, and, and we rely on churches every month, individuals every month, but God speaks to them to do what they do. So Yeah, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that story. And yeah. for our friends that um, haven't kind of been immersed in this world. The itineration process is like a year or so that you raise your funds to go do that. Um, everything that Kenny makes in salary and all of the ministry budget and all the healthcare benefits and all the retirement and all the everything actually comes from churches and individuals and people that believe that, like you said, Kenny, hear from the Lord that to, to support what you're doing there and give faithfully every month. It really is living on faith. And I love that, man. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, Thanks, so why are you guys doing university ministry in Guatemala? Like, why is that a passion of yours? Why do you feel like God's called you to do that? And then what has it been like so far? Well, um, it wasn't the initial uh, plan when we came to Guatemala the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we came to work with a children's organization and we had worked with youth for 10 years, we were youth pastors 
And so we loved those students. I'm one of those weird people that enjoys working with junior high kids. Um, like, I don't know. I don't know what my, you know, what my malfunction is, yeah. but that's what I enjoy, you know? Um, and, and so we, God called us into this kids organization and I was like, God, what are you doing? I don't, I don't work with kids. I work with you know, teenagers, you know, they need to be able to like take themselves to the bathroom, you know, yeah, like, yeah. That's, that's <laughs> but then we got into, into child hope and there began to open up opportunities to actually work with older students, um, in the, in the, um, the schools. Uh, now these weren't college students, but uh, God opened those doors and then, and then through a crazy series of events, God opened a door for, for me to share uh, with a group of university students, a small group of, uh, there was, I think there was about eight university students in this, uh, in the, the local Bible school here in, in Guatemala City. And they were all from different universities around Guatemala. There are 15 universities in Guatemala, 400,000 university students. Um, and so these eight or so represented um represented, I think, five or six different universities in the country. And so I was going to speak with them about reaching their, uh, reaching the next generation and getting the next generation excited about missions. And I'm like, I can do that. You know, even if they're, they're, you know, they're older, I can, you know, I can connect with them on that for sure. And then I got there and I made some, made some really cool connections with them. And long story short, I realized later that meeting was actually the very first meeting of what's called open and it's the Red Universitaria, which is University Network, or what would be Chi Alpha in the United States. Yeah. It was their very first meeting. So I actually spoke at their very first meeting. Wow. Uh, and that was in January of 2019. Um, and so we we continued on that year, ended up actually having some interns that came and worked with us who were all uh, university-aged young ladies who came and worked with us in the program, some from the United States, some from uh, from Latin America. And one of those young ladies actually uh, got saved in Chi Alpha. She mm. accepted Christ in Chi Alpha and then did her give a year uh, in Guatemala and worked with us. And, um, and we, we took her everywhere to the different schools and God opened a door through her for us to reconnect with those university students as they were going through the process. And then, and then they ended up uh, telling us about their plans and goals. And we, we really felt God calling us into that ministry. And so now here we are, we're involved with the university students here in Guatemala. Didn't think it would be like this, uh, to be honest with you. <laughs> I don't think any of us did. Um, yeah. When you ask, how's it going? Well, it's virtually really good. Um, <laughs> you know, I know y'all are all used to Zoom now. Um, yeah. like I didn't know what Zoom was until like March, like March 20th. I don't know, something yeah. like that of 2020. I don't, I'm not sure. But, you know, I did hadn't done a lot on Zoom. And then all of a sudden, like, now we're we're meeting with our students, but here in Guatemala, it's a little bit different dynamic. Their healthcare is at a point where they're overwhelmed, and and people are still afraid to meet in large groups. Um, the country is very locked down in a lot of ways. The university, uh, the University of San Carlos, that has over two hundred thousand students, has zero students on campus wow. right now. You're not even allowed in the campus right now, um, and so it's. It's very strict right now the way it's the way it's happening, but we are making making headway in Zoom. My wife and I were the only missionaries of you know we're only gringos involved, so it's <laughs> us and then a bunch of awesome Guatemalan students who are working to reach their neighbors and and friends. You know, and we're meeting every Friday. We have we have small groups every Friday night, um, and then we have other other times for one on one and things like that. But it's all through Zoom. I'm hoping to have an in person meeting with our staff here. Here this next month, uh, <laughs> but it's definitely 
definitely been unique, but a great opportunity for us to connect with students and we're ready to get back on campus. Yeah, that's incredible, man. So yeah, you're in the place now that we were like a year and a half ago, most mm-hmm. of us. And so you're still doing it. I remember when you were here raising funds, you were still meeting in small groups with your people in Guatemala. Yeah. One thing that's neat about technology is that you, in some ways, you didn't have to step off the field. Even mm-hmm. though you were here in America, you were able to continue to make disciples virtually. And the only, you know, the only thing is it was awesome when I was back in the States. And now that I'm right. here, you know, I'm like two miles away from somewhere right. where right. we have to still meet this <laughs> way. So it feels a little weird, but yeah. But thank God for these for these methods of being able mm-hmm. to communicate because without them, we couldn't have maintained anything that was going on, you know, and any connections that we were making with students. And we have quite a few students who are who are unchurched and and don't really have a grasp on on who God is to them. And, and these opportunities through Zoom are allowing us to make those connections and build relationships, which I couldn't be, couldn't be more thrilled with that opportunity. Yeah. In America, I think we take for granted that a lot of people go to college and you have to go to college for a lot of, a lot of professions here, that kind of thing. And, and while university ministry is seen as strategic here, I think it's particularly strategic for you guys, can you talk a little bit about why it's so strategic and just the the shaping of the culture of Guatemala? Absolutely. When, when you think about Guatemala, most people from other countries, if they know where Guatemala is and know it's not part of Mexico, uh, you know, like <laughs> they, they know the basics about Guatemala. The main thing that strikes that, that, that you think about is poverty. That's that's where most people's thought process goes, which is a very real part of the country. Poverty is is rampant in the country and especially right now. Um, it's it's really accentuated because people are without medical care. They they may have access to medical care, but they can't afford what they have access to. And so most people think of that impoverished, the economic poverty aspect and hunger, which is a very real part. Don't want to diminish that. But one of the things that that happen in these countries is as the leadership of the country goes, so goes the country mm-hmm. because the leadership is a small percentage, but that holds all the power. You know, in the United States, we have a large middle class. You go to college, you get a college education, you get about a hundred grand in student loan debt, but you pay it off, you know, at least by the time you're 50 or something (laughs) and you work a job making a decent living. And then you, you put in retirement, you can retire at, you know, 65, whatever, uh, something like that. You know, we have that American dream middle class Mm -hmm. here in Guatemala, although they are starting to see a little bit of headway with some sort of middle class, it's about 90% poverty. Wow. Uh, probably an 8% middle class and then 2% very powerful government leaders. Mm-hmm. And those, so that 2% runs the country. And that 2% mainly consists of these university students. Many of them are the ones who are going to become the future leaders of the country. Yeah. And so for so much, so long, missions in Guatemala has been focused on the impoverished, but they haven't focused on the spiritually impoverished who are many mm-hmm. times the ones who become the political leaders. Uh, the the fastest growing uh, religions in the university system right now are Islam and atheism. Mm. Um, those are the fastest growing ideologies uh, in in the university system, and these are the people who are going to become presidents, mm-hmm. uh, diplomats, uh, mayors. You know all the all the different leaders, movers and shakers who are basically creating for the country and running the country. And so, if we can reach these students there's such a broad impact, a broader impact that we can have on the society here, because then if we can get them to buy in to, to what God wants to do in their lives, as opposed to what their political ambition wants to do in their lives, Mm. we can make some incredible changes. 
Yeah. And, and see God move in a, in a real way, because that's our number one goal is, yeah, we want to see the economics, in, you know, get better and things like that. But more than anything, we want to see people come to, to know Christ in a real way. And, and for that to give them purpose in their lives to live for him rather than for their own gains. Yeah. Um, and, and manipulation is so financial manipulation is so rampant here. You know, um, I think about the coffee industry. That's another thing you think about in Guatemala. Yeah. Coffee industry is so huge. A, a bunch of our coffee in the United States comes from Guatemala and it's, there's a reason it's some of the best in the world. Um, but what happens there is many times these wealthy educated plantation owners, they know they are able to pay a very low wage to their workers. Um, and so there's this, there's this constant ma- manipulation where there's no mobility from the bottom. And that's because of corruption at the top. Mm-hmm. And so if we can reach these economically blessed, but spiritually impoverished upper class of Guatemala, we can make an impact on the whole country over time. Yeah. We still have to focus on the poverty as well, but this is an area that's been untouched. And it's, it's really like an un- unreached people group, honestly. Yeah. Um, because uh, in the university system, 400,000 university students and a recent study showed that only 2% of that 400,000 actually profess to know Christ. Wow. So that's about 8,000 students out of 400,000 that profess to know Christ. That shows you where the country's headed if that doesn't change. Wow. That's incredible, Kenny. Grateful for, for you guys and that God has moved on your heart to send you there and that you guys have students that have already responded to the call to make disciples and fight for their friends. And you already have like a leadership team that you're building from and, and empowering them to do it. That's so cool, well, dude. And that's what, and that's what makes us work just to throw this in, you know, people look at missionaries and they think, Oh, that's cool. You know, you're a missionary, you're called to reach these people. But, and so I think sometimes, you know, as a missionary, we kind of get, get put on a hero status by other people, you know, in yeah. our own country, which is, I don't really, you know, not, most of the time I feel like undeservedly so, you know, yeah. but we get put on my pedestal, you know, when in all honesty, we are unable to do in Guatemala what God's called us to do without God using the people, the nationals that are working here who aren't, who don't have a missions budget, who don't mm-hmm. have, have a really good, you know, they don't have the, the funds available because of these generous churches and people that give, they don't have the the resources available to do a lot of what, what we can do, but they are doing more with their own people and we can't do what we do unless we have them. And we have an awesome group of students um, and young leaders in the university ministry who are, man, they're without them. We couldn't, we couldn't make headway in this. So I can't express enough how those are a lot of the heroes of ministry that, that y'all don't see are the people that I work with on a daily basis. And they're, they're my heroes in ministry. And so that's that's one one area that I really want to make sure is kind of pushed forward. Yeah, and I appreciate you saying that, man, because that's the case for us at TCU as well. Like we go tell the churches what God's doing at TCU. We tell the people that support what we're doing. But at the end of the day, if if students at TCU aren't making disciples and like buying into the vision to fulfill the Great Commission, it's just me and my wife and Kimber walking around campus meeting people and trying to get them to follow Jesus. But like we have incredible life group leaders and people that would say like, I'm going to make a sacrifice in this season of my life, not to just build my resume, not to just, you know, have another thing or even maybe forsake the best GPA that I could possibly have in order to build relationships with people that don't know Jesus or teach someone how to walk with Jesus. And so that's the case for us too. And I'm, I'm so grateful for the students 
that are helping us even contextualize the gospel for <laughs> TCU students uh, on our campus. So that's cool, man. I love it. I love it. So what's it like being in charge of a national um, food, feeding, <laughs> education, water, gospel organization? <laughs> what's been hard about that? What's been rewarding about it? So I'm 36 and I don't feel like remotely uh, <laughs> capable um, uh, in a lot of those areas, but uh, it's a little bit daunting because, because we're always introduced as the directors of, of this organization here. Mm-hmm. And I see, you know, I'm around all these heroes of the faith that are, that have been working all their lives in ministry here in Guatemala and making very little, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they, you know, they struggle with either family sometimes, but yet their faithfulness is just, it blows me away. The word I, I love so much um, is in, in Spanish is colaborar and then collaborate. That's mm-hmm. really what we're doing. We're collaborating with the nationals in a, in a mission. Um, and we get the opportunity. Yes, we get the, we have a title director, but, but we get to collaborate with these other individuals. Like I talked about these heroes that are, that are doing the work here and we get to collaborate with them to move forward with the gospel and, it's definitely been hard getting adjusted to the different ministries and the different ways we do things. And then the different time frame we're in and then trying not to, to bring my own cultural bias mm. into these situations, especially mm. right now where everything is so politically charged. And so, you know, there's always these issues where, where there's two very opposing sides. You know, when you talk about all the things that are going on in the news yeah. and I have to be, we, we have to be very careful in this context to not, look at this through a, a United States lens mm. um, because that's not how they look here. Um, and so we work hard to love people. And I feel like that's really what our, what our place is. You know, our position is not about status. Our position is about calling to serve. And so I really love, you know, being in these positions because it's one more opportunity to serve others. If we can get out of the mindset of being in charge of something and being able to collaborate with others and to serve in it, it kind of takes some of the pressure off to, yeah. to be honest. So it's definitely been difficult. I've had to, you know, work with, you know, new technology that I wasn't used to. Um, and, you know, this, this time has been tough for everybody, but it's definitely been rewarding being able to see, um, see people come to know Christ as a result of, of faithfulness and, yeah. and some things come to fruition that we had worked for for a long time to get here. And then you finally see something come through and you're like, yes, okay, here we go. We're, we're moving forward. And so seeing him open doors has, has been really cool. That's awesome, man. So what are maybe one or two of your favorite stories from your time serving in missions? One of them that really stands out to me is um, this young lady. Uh, her name's Marley. She was a student at a school in Huehuetenango. Huehuetenango is is a, it's kind of a, it has a touristy element to it, but it's the, it's the number one, the number one city in Guatemala for witchcraft and uh, Mm. prostitution. Um, And um, a number, many girls who by the time they're 10 or 12 years old are already sold into prostitution. Either, either they have to go voluntarily to help make money for their family, or they may be sold by by their family into it to, for them to have enough to provide for the rest of their family. Because, you know, a, a poor family may have five or six children. So if yeah. they sell one, they can actually afford to, to provide for the rest, mm. which is a sad reality that, that many people go through here in Guatemala. Um, but Marley went to a school there in, in Huevetenango. Uh, but the story kind of goes back even further than that. Um, um, about 30 years ago, uh, 
a, a, a team, a missions team came to Guatemala and, um, within that mission team, there was a construction group. And, and one of the, one of the people with the construction group was this elderly lady who had no construction background. Uh, she was, she was just with the team because she felt, she felt like she should go yeah. and she wasn't sure how she could help. Um, but, uh, before she came, she had some stuff that she thought she should bring, you know, some things in Spanish that she thought she should bring, uh, that maybe would help. And, uh, so she brought the things with her and presented them to the pastor of the local church where they did this project there in Huevo And what she actually brought were some, some, uh, sign language books, Spanish sign language. And, you know, they didn't have any need for them there at the time. And so the pastor took them and was gracious and put them in a closet. Yeah. Um, well, this little girl, um, this little girl, Marley, she ended up, uh, very poor family, but ended up getting into the Huevo Child Hope School. Uh, and got a sponsor so that she could actually keep going to school because her family didn't have the money to pay for her to, to get to get education. Mm-hmm. And she really felt safe at the school, loved it, loved the school so much that at night she would go to the church that was connected to the school. Mm-hmm. And she felt really safe and got really involved and loved it. And when she was about 10 or 11 years old, so this would have been about 20 years ago, um, they um, she started cleaning the church for them. She would go in and clean different areas, you know, to help out at the church because she loved being there and she felt safe there. And one day she was cleaning out a closet and found these sign language books. Mm. And um, this developed an interest and that interest became a passion. And um, I was actually just in Huevo Tenango um, uh, a couple weeks ago. And at that school, uh, Marley was there. She she teaches one of the largest groups of deaf children in Guatemala. Uh, kids come from hours around just so they can get an education there uh, because the deaf community in Guatemala, there's about 600,000 deaf uh, and about 75,000 of them are children. Wow. And so these are people. This is an unreached people group because none of them will ever hear the gospel. Mm. Uh, but because of Marley, now they get to see the gospel. Yeah. And, and that was, that was one of the things that spoke to me, you know, it was nothing that we did, but it was one of those things that I got to experience and be and see and kind of be, be exposed to that God uses one step of obedience that yeah. seems ex- insignificant. This elderly lady who came with the construction team, who thought she had no purpose <laughs> on the team, leaving these books, Marley, a girl of very little significance in that culture, who probably would have ended up in prostitution if she wouldn't have gotten an education. Yeah developed an interest, that interest became a passion. And now she has a number of students who are getting an education and getting to learn about Jesus Christ in their own language, which is sign language. And then, man, we've, we've gotten to see people, unlikely people come, come to know Christ. And, and I think one of the big deals is, is value. We put value on, on people. So many times we look at people in a third world country and we put a lesser value on them because of the amount of money they make or because of their, their, their situation, um, their oppression that they face. Um, and it reminds me of a young man, his name's Anthony. He was, a, he made 10 bucks a day as a construction worker. And when I first met him, he, he didn't want to have anything to do with God or, or anything like that. He made it clear to me at the very beginning, he had been hurt by some things and he didn't, he didn't want, didn't want to know anything to anything to do with God. We had a team there from East Texas that, that came. They didn't know Jack squat about Spanish. They were, <laughs> They they had no idea, you know, they knew like taco burrito, you know. Yeah, yeah. One of the guys I think knew some like, you know, the the bad words in Spanish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was about it. And and so they came and he began, he was working with, you know, he was a paid construction worker on the site, um, and about 19 years old. And a couple of days in, he's like, So 
why are these guys here? And I said, well, they're from a church in the States and they're, and they're here to help. And, and he goes, how much are they getting paid? And I said, nothing. They paid to come and they gave to the project. He said, why? You know, he couldn't understand why. I said, well, they love God and they love people and they want to help build the school so that more kids can learn about him. And, and he just couldn't fathom it. And then over the course of this week, they didn't speak the same language. I had to interpret for them whenever I was able to, whenever I wasn't working on something else, you know, so, um, but then sometimes they would just laugh and try to try to make sense of, of what each other was saying. But over the course of this week, they, they sweated together, laughed together, cried together by the end of the week, like they're hugging each other in tears. Mm. This young man who had wanted nothing to do with God. And, and there was this, this connection now, he didn't make a decision while they were there. It wasn't like this existential moment that we yeah, think about, yeah. you know, where yeah. we all laid hands on him and, yeah, yeah. and, you know, and like uh, all that. But it was it was the day after the team left. I get a call from the local um, construction foreman who happened to be the local youth pastor at the church. Hmm. And he calls me up and he says, hey, bro, we had a youth service today. Uh, and And Anthony showed up and accepted Christ. Wow. And it's because relationship led to revelation in his in his heart. Mm. And it, it showed me like with that team, I don't remember how many block they laid. I don't remember how much cement they poured. But what I do remember is Anthony got saved. Yeah. And so I think about God, why did that team come to Guatemala? Was it for the construction? Sure. It helped, but it's because God saw enough value in Anthony mm. to send a whole team of redneck Texans <laughs> and use them to reach this young man. You can take like a scripture for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him would have everlasting, you know, would not perish, but have everlasting life. And you could put any name in there for God. Mm -hmm. So loved Anthony. Yeah. He gave his only son. And it's so true because he puts such a high value on that one life. Ten bucks a day as a construction worker involved. Wow. That's that's just a couple of the things that I got to be a part of over our time so far. Man, that's incredible, dude. Thank you so much for sharing those. So our our audience, our students that are listening, they're they're studying to become business people, nurses, teachers, work in every channel of culture. Um, And the TCU motto that's plastered all over the campus and all over the city is lead on. And there's an expectation that that the men and women that study at TCU would be leaders and like influencers and, you know, change the world. That's learning to change the world. That's what uh, another kind of saying that you see around. And so I'm just curious, man, if you could give a, a final thought with these future leaders about how their lives can be of service to the mission of God in the world, what would you say? First of all, I'd kind of flip that with regard to the way we follow God, follow Christ. I would flip that lead on to serve on. Mm. Um, that's one thing I would say, because because um, many times people who want to lead never get to that point. And sometimes mm. the people who end up in leadership are people who never never wanted to lead. Mm-hmm. They just began to serve and God put them in places of influence. Wow. There's, there's just some, something I was, I was looking over and, and it said this, it said, the mission of God drives your call. The call reaches your heart and develops a passion where your passion lies. The work will follow mm-hmm. where your passion lies your career will follow. So mm-hmm. I say that to say career is subject to calling. So it doesn't matter. You may say, man, I have a degree and I have a pre-law degree. What can I do for missions? What what can I do for, you know, as to lead in the mission in missions? Or I have a I have a medical degree. What can I do to lead in missions to, to step out? Number one is serve. 
in whatever areas you can. But number two is allow, allow that call to be free mm. and not contingent upon your degree, not contingent yeah. upon your career, because whatever God is calling you to do, he is going to pull your career in line with that. Mm. If you're willing to follow it, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. He's yeah. so if, if man, if I'm, if I have a medical degree and he tells me to, to go into kids ministry, he's going to find a, if I'm obedient, he's going to find a way to fit all that in, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and it may be some years of serving in one and then him pushing you in another, but every step of it is him preparing you for the next one. And, and so I, I would just say, man, don't be so wrapped up in being a leader in your career as you are being a leader in your call, because I, I argued with God about, you know, God, I don't have a, I don't have a ministry degree. I didn't go to like a, like a ministry university, you know, like, yeah, you know, I, I have a secular degree from Tarleton state university, part of the Texas A&M system. So, so, you know, I, I didn't have the right credentials, but God has lined up my career desires with a call and that call has become my passion. And the career is secondary. The career is subject to the calling. Mm-hmm. Don't make your don't make your calling subject to what you think you have the ability to do or yeah. you think you're good at in a career. Allow it to be the other way around. And God will help you to thrive in both. We yeah. have a one one example right now. We have a we have some missionaries working with us. They're missionary associates. They're actually they're actually out of North Texas as well. Hmm. Um, but they were both uh, in in the military. Damien and Daniela Rosario. Um, they were both in the military and she was a, a, a nurse, a medic for 12 years in the military. Mm-hmm. One of the top medics in her area, she received awards for her ability in medicine. But now that she, they, then they, they accepted the call into, into missions, into full-time missions. And now she's here and she's such an amazing resource because she saw a call and then, but her career path ha, is, is only making everything richer. Right. God is using that to enrich what she's doing. And she's a, you can understand she's a medic in a country that's suffering from a medical crisis. Yeah, She's here and we're going to have opportunities to use that in, in amazing ways that for God to use it. She never would have thought it could be used. Yeah. And so God is using those things to supplement what he wants to do. Yeah. And it's all part of his plan. Man, that is such good wisdom, Kenny, that our call would be the driver, that our career would follow the call. Man, Kenny, thank you so much for being with us, man. This has been awesome. Yeah, thank you. Well, friends, um, we did take up an offering during our during our service and in our life groups for water filters for outreach for Kenny and the team there in Guatemala. There's still an opportunity to give towards that, even if you're listening to this six months or a year after <laughs> we posted it. Like, if you want to give to pay for some water filters so that they can do some service and outreach in Guatemala, please let us know. We want to help with that, guys. I just want to encourage you. You know. We've been talking about over and over and over in our time, in our life groups, about the fact that every disciple is called to make disciples, that Jesus said, go into into the world and make disciples of all nations. And we believe that that applies to all believers, all people that say they are followers of Jesus. And I would just encourage you that as you reflect on this last couple of weeks and the times that we've talked to missionaries and you reflect on what it is that God has for your future, would you just ask him? God, where would you have me make disciples? And that you wouldn't take anything off the table, that you would say, God, where where do you think, not where do I think, but where do you think I would be most qualified and most, or maybe least qualified, but the most, you know, sent by you to make disciples and, and then let that call 
determine your career, the places that you live, the, pla- the, the ways that you go about your life. And just like missionary after missionary has said in our time that it will be so rewarding. It will be walking in obedience is the greatest joy of your life, even if you're suffering. Um, there's so much joy in it. So friends, um, we love you guys and look forward to all that God is doing in your life over the course of the of the last couple of weeks and look forward to seeing how God is going to use this time to continue to, to bless you. So we love you guys and go frogs. Thank you for listening today. We'd love to connect with you beyond this podcast. If you want more information about TCU Chi Alpha, visit tcuxa.com. God bless and go frogs.